Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. It is written that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us, to learn about the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the holy and anointed Lamb of God, the light of the world, the Savior of mankind. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.org or call us at 678-692-8870. You can also write to us at CPM Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. We look forward to hearing from you, and we pray that these messages of truth touch your lives. If you have been moved by these biblical teachings, please visit our forums online at covenantpeoplesministry.org and sign up to follow us on our YouTube channel, Covenant People. Thank you for joining us for another CPM broadcast. And now, here is our pastor, Jeremy Visser, with our next Bible study. Hello again, friends and kinsfolk, and thank you for joining me. As we conclude our look into the minor prophet Joel. And we left off last time talking on the future restoration of Israel after the battle of Armageddon. And if you were with me yesterday on Eurofolk Radio, you'll know that I preached on the battle of Armageddon and what that represents. In fact, we've dealt with parts of that in this series where we learn in verse 13 of Joel 3, Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Now this statement, put ye in the sickle, is found in Revelation chapter 14, verse 14. And of course we dealt with that. But what that means is that the time of the harvest is near. The time of the harvest is upon us when Yahshua puts in the sickle. For example, Revelation chapter 14, verse 14. John says, I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud, one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat upon the cloud. Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now perhaps you're familiar with this concept because Yahshua taught a parable of the tares and the wheat. And at the time of the harvest, as we're discussing here, when Yahshua puts in the sickle, well... That is when he separates the sheep from the goats. That is the time of the harvest, and that is judgment day. We also learned multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For Yahweh is near in that valley of decision. And what that means, of course, is we dealt with judgment day. And we also dealt with God saying, You shall know that I am Yahweh your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall no strangers pass through her any more. Interesting, is it not? Because in Joel, Jerusalem represents the Israelite men, women, and children. 
And one of the prophecies pertaining to Judgment Day or the time of the harvest is after that fact, after the Israelites are restored, after the battle of Armageddon, Yahweh reigns in Zion. Yahweh will speak from His temple. Yahweh will dwell within a proverbial Jerusalem. And finally, Yahweh will be found in the house of the Lord. Now, by way of review, Joel as a book deals with the locust armies. It is Yahweh God who unleashes them in verse 6 of chapter 1. Where we learn, a nation has come upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion. And he hath the cheek teeth of a great lion. And he hath laid my vine waste. And we know that Yahshua is the true vine. And we are to abide within him. And in this series I have attempted to jump around to many minor prophets. Looking even at Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah. But most assuredly Revelation. To prove how perfect Joel is as a book. Joel means Yah is El, and it's about the world before His return. It touches upon the day of Pentecost, which is something that is overlooked. In fact, Pentecost, or the Pentecostal tongue, is something that is perverted within Christendom as general. Many people come in and they speak gobbledygook, and they say, well, I have the gift of tongues. But we've proven from Acts and from Joel That when that outpouring of the Holy Spirit is unleashed upon our men and our women, then it is a language that is understood by every single tribe of Israel. Whether they be German, whether they be Irish, or whether they be Spaniard or Italian. The irony is, is that this gift of the Pentecostal tongue will be poured out again. Because the Holy Spirit will speak through are the sons and daughters. And in chapter 1, we looked at the four stages of the locust. And what we need to recognize about those four stages is all four stages culminate in pure desolation. Therefore, Yahweh God comes back and He renders pure desolation unto the enemies of the Israelite men, women, and children. Now, interesting of note, is in Revelation chapter 9, we read of the locust armies. In chapter 9, but verse 8. They had hair as hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And so, in this series, we have traced the progression of these locust armies from the sounding of the fifth trumpet and a star falling from heaven, as Yahshua said would happen in Matthew chapter 24. And that star had the key to the bottomless pit. And out of the pit comes smoke and darkness comes upon the face of the earth, right? The sun is not able to give its light. But from the smoke come the locust armies. So what we need to remember about that is that the locust armies strip bare our people. And that word, nation, in Joel chapter 1 verse 6 means goy. Or a Gentile, and it can be transliterated as a troop of animals. Meaning, they're not literal animals. They're not literal locusts. They are a metaphor for the Gentiles. And they are attributed to what they do. For example, a lion. 
A lion is mighty, but a lion usually always kills their prey. And the locust armies are here to strip bare our people. In Revelation, we are told that they have the ability to torment you and I if we have the seal of God, but not to kill us. Meaning that all those that are in bed with Antichrist already belong to Abaddon or Apollyon, meaning Satan in short, that son of perdition. Now we have gone through the series of Joel and we left off in chapter 3 and we learned in verse 17, so shall ye know that I am Yahweh your God dwelling in Zion, Zion being the holy mountain but also representative of the people. Notice also we are told that strangers shall no more pass through us because strangers have been passing through us during the battle of Armageddon, leading all the way up to the hour of temptation in which many of our men and women will be delivered up before the synagogue of Satan, as is referenced in Revelation 2.9 and 3.9. And they'll have to give a testimony. But that is the point in which the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is given, the Pentecostal tongue. This is also why Yahshua would say it's unforgivable to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit is considered elsewhere in Scripture to be a gift. And that word gift in the Greek means charisma. It is a charisma that only the men, women, and children of Israel, the race, possess. That, if you will, is the Pentecostal tongue. And it is imparted by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, after the future restoration of Israel, after the battle of Armageddon, we learn of the material blessings of Israel. Now in this series, I have proven that Yahshua ascended bodily. And he will descend in the same exact manner that he went to go be with our Heavenly Father. And here, beginning in verse 18 of the final chapter of Joel, we learn of the material blessings of Israel, the people, or the race. And it says, It shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop down new wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters, and a fountain shall come forth out of the house of Yahweh, and shall water the valley of Shittim. Now what we see here in verse 18 is a restoration process. Remember, the locust armies devoured the land. In fact, we're reminded of that towards the beginning of chapter 2. In verse 3, we learn, A fire devoureth before them, and behind them, who? The locust armies. A flame burneth. The land is as the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them is a desolate wilderness. Yea, and nothing shall escape them. Nothing shall escape the locust armies and the four stages of their destruction. Nothing, including the elect. They cannot kill you, but they can torment you. And if you overcome the tribulation, if you overcome the hour of temptation then everything we read about towards the conclusion of Joel chapter 3 will apply to you. It shall come to pass in that day, after the battle of Armageddon, that the mountains shall drop down new wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the rivers of Judea, or here rendered Judah, 
shall flow with waters, and a fountain shall come forth. A fountain. This, my friend, refers to the source of the great river, and it is mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 47. And I'm going to read that very briefly, because it also ties in right here. And it's interesting how all of these prophets, they give their prophecies thousands of years apart, and there's no variation. Not one prophet comes out and says the fig tree or the olive tree represent Edom, for example. But from Genesis to Revelation, these themes bleed through over and over again. This terminology of new wine or milk and honey, the rivers flowing, etc. What we're reading about is Yahweh God will restore what the locust armies have already devoured. So in Ezekiel chapter 47, let's begin reading in the first verse where we learn. Afterward, he brought me again unto the door of the house. And behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. For the forefront of the house stood towards the east. And the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Then brought he me out of the way of the gate northward, and led me about the way without unto the utter gate by the way that looked eastward. And behold, there ran waters on the right side. And when the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits, and he brought me through the waters, and the waters were to the ankles. Again he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters, and the waters were to the knees. Again he measured a thousand and brought me through, and the waters were to the loins. Afterward he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass over. For the waters were risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. And he said unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen this? Then he brought me and caused me to return to the brink of the river. Now, when I had returned, behold, at the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and the other. Then he said unto me, These waters issue out towards the east country, and go down into the desert, and go into the sea, which, being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed. Now, if you continue to read that all the way to verse 12, you will see that it ties right into here, where we're learning in Joel... That waters will flow again in that land when Yahweh God dwells among His people. It shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop down new wine. Very interesting, is it not? Because Joel begins on that teaching. For example, Joel chapter 1 verse 5. Awake ye drunkards and weep and howl all ye drinkers of wine because of the new wine. For it is cut off from your mouth. So Joel as a book begins on the premise that there will be no wine in forthcoming seasons. But after the battle of Armageddon, after the stranger is no longer allowed to pass through the people of Israel, then the waters will flow again. Then the trees will be nourished by our Heavenly Father. And then also will come the new wine. Very important to remember Because what we're learning about is desolation. Desolation brought unto us by the Gentiles, or the Goyim, but in short, the locust army. 
Notice also, as we have gone through this book of Joel, judgment begins with Israel, then goes to the nations or the goyim, but never deals with the non-whites, ever. And that is a point we need to bring forth. Because oftentimes in Christian identity, people love saying, well, you know, the goats are non-whites. No, they're not. And they love coming in and writing in the non-covenant people where they do not appear in Scripture. And that, my friend, is a grievous mistake. If particular individuals or nations do not appear in the Bible, we must be careful to not write them within its pages. Now, in this series, we have also proven from Second Peter chapter 3, verse 5, that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is a millennium. So... When we hear of this term, day of the Lord, we know that it takes time, at least according to God's timetable. This does not happen overnight, and in fact, we are told that He will restore the years that the locust stole from us. But notice, before there is a battle of Armageddon, before there is a physical war between the armies of the locusts and the armies of God, There is a spiritual restoration of the Israelites. That, of course, is addressed in Joel chapter 2, verse 28. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. Then... At the beginning of chapter 3, we learn of the battle of Armageddon. And so what that means, of course, is that we must be spiritually restored before we are physically restored and given these material blessings. Notice, Yahweh God turns back the clock. Yahweh God restores the land like the Garden of Eden that it once was before the locust armies. And after the Israelites are given these material blessings, after we are assured that we will have new wine the next season, then Israel will finally be avenged of her enemies. Verse 19, here in Joel chapter 3. Egypt shall be a desolation, and Edom shall be a desolate wilderness. For the violence against the children of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. So, Both Egypt and Edom are promised to be a perpetual desolation. And that pronouncement or judgment against them is because they withheld God's chosen people, the Israelites. And while we're here looking at verse 19, turn with me to the book of the minor prophet Obadiah. In fact, you've probably heard this taught countless times within Christian identity, but it fits right here. Notice, in Joel chapter 3, verse 19, Egypt shall be a desolation, and Edom shall be a desolate wilderness. Right? Well, we learn in Malachi, at the very beginning, in verse 2, was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith Yahweh? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. So Malachi, the minor prophet, in beginning his teaching, 
differentiates the Jacobites from the Edomites. And even though Jacob and Esau were twin brothers, and even though the elder was commanded through prophecy to serve the younger, well, they warred. They warred until this day. So we learn of the destruction of Edom in Obadiah chapter 1. In fact, it begins on that note. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry broadcast. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship, be sure to write to us at CPM Post Office Box 256 Brooks, Georgia 30205 or give us a call at 678-692-8870. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.org where you will find direct access to our extensive selection of audio sermons. You can also listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast on your mobile audio devices. Our sermons and videos are made possible by your tithes and offerings. If you wish to support this ministry, please make your checks or money orders payable to Covenant People's Ministry, or use the donate button on our website to use PayPal. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all, and is an all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church so that when He returns, He will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply His words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. In fact, it begins on that note. Verse 1, the vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord El concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from Yahweh, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen, thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Interesting statement, is it not? Because we learn in Isaiah that Lucifer is brought down to the sides of the pit. Having this mindset, who can bring me down? Well, Yahweh God will bring you down. Perhaps the Israelites won't until our commander-in-chief returns to lead that battle of Armageddon. But what we learn about is that they will be destroyed. Edom committed the unpardonable sin. In fact, verse 4 continues that point. Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring down, saith Yahweh. So, in Obadiah chapter 1 verse 18 we learn, The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble, and they shall kindle in them, and devour them. And there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau. For Yahweh has spoken. Yahweh spoke it. It will come to pass exactly as he says. And Obadiah confirms what we just read. That Egypt shall be a desolation. And Edom shall be a desolate wilderness. Why? Well, they hid themselves within the mountains. Within the clefts of the rock. This means Petra. The Edomite capital, my friend. And while the Edomites say, hey, we're great, right? They're hated of Yahweh God. While they are 
great men, mighty men of power and of war, Yahweh God will come during this restoration when Israel is avenged on her enemies and destroy them. Edom shall be a desolate wilderness for the violence against the children of Judah. A polite way of saying for their violence against the house of Israel. Because they have shed innocent blood within their land. Judah, right here as we're discussing, will include all the children of Israel from all the tribes in that day. And that of course is confirmed in Ezekiel chapter 37. But also, Ezekiel chapter 48, in the conclusion of the book. In the final verses, we learn about the miniature four-square earthly Jerusalem, patterned after the heavenly Jerusalem. We are looking for a new heavens and a new earth, so also are we looking for a new Jerusalem. And these are the goings out of the city on the north side. This is verse 30 in Ezekiel chapter 48. 4,500 measures, and the gates of the city shall be after the names of the tribes of Israel. Three gates northward, and one gate of Reuben, one gate of Judah, one gate of Levi. And at the east side, 4,500, and three gates, and one gate of Joseph, one gate of Benjamin, and one gate of Dan. And at the south side, 4,500 measures, and three gates, one gate of Simeon, one gate of Ishtar, and one gate of Zebulon. At the west side, 4,500 with their three gates, one gate of Gad, one gate of Ashur, and one gate of Naphtali. And it was round about 18,000 measures, and the name of that city from that day shall be Yahweh is there. That's the name of the city. And this is one of a number of new names for the eternal earthly Jerusalem. In Hebrew, it means Adonai Shammah. Or Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. Meaning literally what it says. For our Messiah Yahshua will be there reigning visibly and eternally. Now notice. We just dealt with these gates, right? <laughs> In the New Jerusalem. And we also learned that the names of the tribes of Israel shall be on the gates of every city. For example, in Revelation chapter 7. We learn, beginning in verse 1, After these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given, to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed. There were sealed in 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000, etc., so, in Revelation chapter 7, it confirms exactly what we're reading about in Ezekiel this morning, and also that Israel truly will be avenged from their enemies. And in this context, in this book, the enemies of the Israelite men, women, and children are Egypt and Edom. 
both of which are hated by Yahweh God. Both of which he hates. And finally, we learn that the Israelites, or the Judeans, will be an eternal people, dwelling with Yahweh God. Remember in Revelation, we learn, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Right? Knock at what? Those gates that we just discussed. Those twelve gates that represent the twelve tribes of Israel. Remember, Yahshua called twelve disciples. Twelve is the number of governmental perfection. Meaning that the earth finally will be perfect because God dwells among His people. Therefore, we learn in Joel chapter 3 verse 20, But Judah shall dwell forever, and Jerusalem from generation to generation, or genios to genios. Jerusalem will finally dwell, not like it is today. And Jerusalem, of course, represent the epicenter of the Israelite men, women, and children. We'll dwell forever, but what happens to Egypt? What happens to Edom? What happens to the Goyim or Gentile nations known as locusts? That answer was already given. They're burned with fire and the earth is restored. They're not judged. They're not fit to enter within the kingdom. Only Judah shall dwell forever because Judah represents all the children of Israel and Jerusalem will be their eternal city. Now, we already covered that in Ezekiel, but know that Yahweh God will set things right the way they were as He created them initially. Which is why Joel chapter 2 says that before the locust armies is as the Garden of Eden. Who created the Garden of Eden? Who planted that garden, it was Yahweh God. But so also was it Yahweh who unleashes the locust armies to devour the land. And then Jacob being a fire and Joseph being a flame, as we read in Obadiah, well, that fire devours those locust armies. Not only do we learn that Judah shall dwell forever, but Jerusalem shall dwell from generation to generation. Why? For I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed. For Yahweh dwells in Zion. Notice that Yahweh returns and after He says the stranger shall no longer pass through our people anymore, I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed. And notice also, that is the final verse in the entire book of Joel. And his prophecy ends. There's no amen. There's no benediction. There's no conclusion. Who else did this? (laughs) Well, that, of course, would be Ezekiel. Where we just were in reading Ezekiel chapter 48, the conclusion of this particular prophet, notice also that the prophecy ends. It was round about 18,000 measures, and the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. So, Adonai Shema. The Lord will dwell among His people. Why is this important? Well, Christ taught that wherever two or more gather in My name, there I am in the midst of them. Meaning, He will tabernacle with us. In fact, in John chapter 1, we learn in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh in verse 14. And when we learn in John chapter 1 verse 14 that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among men, that word dwelt means to tabernacle. So what have we proven? At the return of God, Jesus Christ, 
He will tabernacle for eternity amongst His people. But those that denied Him in life and those that denied Him during the battle of Armageddon and those that denied Him during the hour of temptation will not be found within the kingdom. Stands the reason, does it not? Because they did not want Yahweh to rule over them in life. Therefore, they cannot reign with the kings and queens of Israel in the kingdom to come. So Joel as a book has taught us many things. We've learned that the beast that is mentioned in chapter 1 is behemoth. It means a quadruped. It's four-footed. And it's differentiated out from the locusts, which mean the goy or the goyim. So, don't allow men to come in and tell you, oh, these beasts of the field, they cry mightily unto God. Doesn't mean that they're non-whites. The Bible does not mention them ever from beginning to end. And I do not know how much clearer I can be in that. Also, let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 12 before we conclude. In Hebrews chapter 12, we learn a very valuable statement. It is found in verse 29. For our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. That means that we receive the kingdom. We shall be kings and priests of the eternal earthly kingdom. My friend, the eternal earthly kingdom. And if you don't believe that, we'll turn with me this morning, to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel, of course, talks about the man of sin who takes away the daily sacrifice, of which many people consider to be the Antichrist, in short. But nevertheless, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was like a fiery flame, and His wheels a burning fire. So what did we just learn? Our God is a consuming fire, just as Hebrews chapter 12 verse 29 confirms. But not only that. Notice also, while we're here in Daniel, verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom, and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Interesting, is it not, that we will dwell with Yahweh God within that coming kingdom. The saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom. Is this foreign to you? Well, it should not be. Because Isaiah, the major prophet, taught the same exact thing. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we learn, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it. And to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will perform this. Forever, my friend, we will dwell with Yahweh God within that kingdom. Why? Because our God is a consuming fire. Esau, Edom is destroyed by what? Fire. The locust armies are destroyed by what? Flame. That means they are returned with the brightness of His coming. 
And who rules? Well, we've already covered it today. The 12 tribes of Israel. The patriarchs. One more point as we wind this down. And we briefly touched upon this in the fourth part of this series. But in the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians, that is 2 Corinthians, we need to read what Paul commands about staying within the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Would to God ye would bear with me a little in falling, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or ye receive another spirit, which we have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, you might well bear with him. That is the theme of Joel. Locust armies and the battle of the saints against the Antichrist. Remember, them that overcome in the book of Revelation are they that hate the whore. They're they that hate the beast. And while the beast, the locust, Satan and the whore of Babylon all work together and in conjunction to empower themselves on the earth, the great and terrible day of Yahweh is a day in which he asks, Who shall abide it? Remember, it is great for us because we are the saints and we rule with him. But it is not great for the heathen. It is not great for those that do not call upon the name of Yahweh, Yahshua. And so, in conclusion, the book of Joel was written in Palestine about 795 to 755 B.C. Meaning, it was about a thousand years before Christ came. Before those prophecies of Isaiah were even fulfilled. That of his kingdom there shall be no end. Is that now? Of course not. It comes in the day of the Lord. The author is undoubtedly Joel the prophet. And very little is known about Joel. But the theme of Joel as a book is the immediate and latter day destruction of Israel. The future Antichrist, the battle of Armageddon, and the restoration This was referenced by Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Zechariah. And all of these books mention the future outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon all flesh. And we've dealt with that in this eight-part series. Joel's purpose is to make clear the sufferings of Israel because of her backslidings. Now, we need to remember that. If we were following Yahweh God as commanded all along, He would not have to bring a nation upon us. He would not have to make a full end. Also, the book of Joel is the 29th book of the entire Bible. It has three chapters, 73 verses, 2,034 words, seven questions, 50 commands, 10 promises, 69 verses of prophecy, 11 verses of fulfilled prophecy, but 59 verses of unfulfilled prophecy. And within this entire book, There is only one distinct message from God. And it is what? The entire book. The entire book. The distinct message of God begins in Joel chapter 1 verse 2 and goes to 321. 
where we just learned, for I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed, for Yahweh dwelleth in Zion. What does that mean? Well, as I've said in this series, Joel means Yah is El. Yah is God. Meaning, of all twelve minor prophets, it is most likely that Joel is the direct word of God that did not need a mediator or even a man to come in and say that Yahweh has spoken. But be that as it may, it is perfect. And almost every one of the parables of Yahshua is mentioned in here. Not by name, but by specifics. By oil, by vine, by fig trees. All of the things that Yahshua would teach on much later. And again, Christ said, learn the parable of the fig tree. Why? It was given on Mount Olives, and ultimately, Yahshua will return on the Mount of Olives. We proved that within this series. And so, until next time, dear kinsfolk, we will most likely, from this point on, continue releasing every Wednesday night. However, Sunday will likely be replaced with Saturday releases going out on Eurofolk Radio. And more information can be had on that if you visit eurofolkradio.com. The link is given and provided within our forums. So in short, what I'm saying is, we will now likely only broadcast on Wednesday evenings and Saturday afternoons. But, Yahweh willing, we'll see what happens. Dear kinsfolk, if this series has helped you, please support this ministry. I cannot tell you how much it would mean, but as of August 1st, almost all of our support dropped off. And we truly require your support now more than ever. So, until next time, this is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia, and the Covenant People's Church, hoping that this eight-part study into the book of the minor prophet Joel has edified you. War for Christ. Amen. Covenant People's Ministry. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us, remembering the words that Christ has given, that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.org, and share your Christian testimonies, or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible study lessons and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website. If you would like to write to us, send your comments and queries to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205, or reach us by telephone at 678 692 8870. We thank you for your prayers and offerings, and we pray that all of you have been touched by these messages and continue to share the words of the gospel with your friends and family. Thanks again, and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.